Taylor Decker's on my all 22 fantasy team, by the way. Stop. Stop it. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Taylor. I don't care, and I'm in the league. I'm just trying to hype up the future of fantasy football yeah. here. They told me we could hype it up. Nobody cares about your fantasy team. That's one of the I, it's my rules way. of broadcasting. Regardless of the medium, they don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right? Your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is gonna, it's gonna change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town where it goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. Made myself proud. Say, look at me now. Hello and welcome to the All 22 Podcast. My name is Chris Lombardi, and I'm joined by Bobby Acker and Ray Cotto, and we are the co-founders of All 22. Guys, good morning. Morning. Good morning, guys. Beautiful morning. Draft is done. Yeah, I want to start by saying I was wrong about Trevon Walker. Okay, we'll admit that. First thing I say, because, you know, somebody who was listening to the podcast reminded me of that almost immediately. But I'm pretty stoked about being wrong about that. Pushed Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal down the board. I'm a happy guy today. You were right about uh, a little bit of an NFL conspiracy there with the Lions getting punished for being too quick with their uh, with their selection there. See? So, yeah. I knew it was a conspiracy. I just got the wrong one. <laughs> you know? yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, strings. I owe Ray kind of an apology from some of the past episodes because I was kind of like crapping on his take of like, a team having to find their identity and doing that through the draft. And I feel like it kind of clicked to me when I saw what the Ravens did, like um, seeing them kind of like trade away a wide receiver, get additional draft picks, build up their defense, and then just kind of draft Tyler Linderbaum to commit to the run game. Makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot more teams should be doing stuff like that. So Ray, formal apology. I appreciate that. And for the audience, you're, you're going to get used to that. You're going to realize I, I, I'm going to be owed a lot of apologies. Shouldn't have said forward. that, Chris. Shouldn't have said but, that. Uh, it's going yeah. right through his head already. <laughs> appreciate that, Chris. Yeah, you got it. I, so, I appreciate Ray, you being big enough to apologize to me, you know? Were you saying, like, emphasis on the you? Because, like, Bobby hasn't. I'm just saying I appreciate you being big <laughs> enough to, to apologize. Okay. <laughs> All right, Ray, you got the... wrong. Okay, can we just start there and like let's let's keep going? Ray, you got the right. convo of the day. What's what's the quick combo? Yeah, so it's it's again all things draft, right? You know, draft is over, but uh, still tons to talk about, right? We're all kind of coming off the draft high, um, but uh, yeah, just overall, I, what was everyone's thoughts about? Um, you know, who had a good draft, who didn't? Right? Sometimes it's the usual suspects. Um, having a great draft as always, which is why they're always picking late and those who didn't that are always picking early or first. But uh, who do you guys think, uh, you know, just overall really one draft night or draft weekend? I think I kind of just went into that a little bit with the Ravens. I mm -hmm. think they were a huge winner and they found their identity. On the other side, I think there were teams that went farther away from that. And I think the biggest loser, in my opinion, was the Saints. They... They sold future draft picks. I personally still don't think they have a quarterback. Um, and they don't have a defense now. They lost a lot of pieces, and they have a lot of pieces that are aging. So um, I really don't like what the Saints do. did. I really like what the Jets did. I think they used three premium picks to, get, to address three high position values. Um, 
starting off going with corner, which we've talked about before, probably bumping in positional value over time, getting, a, a in my opinion, the best receiver in the draft, and then um, and then addressing edge rusher at 26, a guy that probably could have won a lot earlier. I know that's that's a guy that we, we have some mixed opinions about here, but I thought the Jets did really well in that first round and, and continue to do well in rounds two through seven. So the Jets would be my favorite pick, uh, my favorite uh, draft um, and the Cowboys would be my least favorite. Um, I think using premium picks on a player that's essentially going to be a guard and projected to be a second rounder. Don't know if I necessarily love that. And then, um, yeah, that the edge rusher that they got in the second round, I thought that was a bit of a reach. Did like Jalen Tolbert, um, but overall wasn't crazy about the Cowboys, um, Cowboys draft draft. And maybe it happened that way because Jerry Jones showed his cards quite literally. Um, but yeah, wasn't a big fan. Yeah, he has a tendency to do that for whatever reason. Every single year, it's like, hey, here's the Cowboys board. It, it leaked again. Um, Heard this time they, they, were, like, they were physically showed it, and his son <laughs> had to like yell at him. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe, exactly. Maybe that's another conspiracy, guys. I'll look into it. Don't worry. All right, good. We'll, Bobby, we'll go back we need to that a uh, tinfoil hat for you. Like, <laughs> yeah, you should, yeah. like we put a sheep on Ray. We need a tinfoil hat for you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so I agree with, with with a lot of what you guys said. I'm going to highlight the Chiefs draft. It's you know I, I just kind of look at their picks and I'm just like, yep, I like that, I like that, I like that, right? You know, getting Trent McDuffie, they they need uh, you know help in the secondary there. Really good player. Then they get Carl Loftus late in the first. Then they go and get Sky Moore, which I thought at 54 is just a steal. Bobby, they get your guy Brian Cook. Then they get Leo Chanel at linebacker. Two of my uh, guys. I really yeah. Yeah, both both you guys, and then I really like Joshua Williams, kind of a you know long corner uh, over there from Fayetteville State, but super intriguing. I, I like the upside there. Then they get Darian Kennard in the fifth round, who I thought was you know got a little bit too hyped up before the draft. They were talking about him though in like you know late second, early third, but to get him in the fifth is is a is a steal in that regard for as far as value is concerned. So and even like Isaiah Pacheco at running back in the seventh, like I like that player. So. It's funny the Chiefs drafting late, you know, in every single round there after having a successful year, and yet I'm looking at all their picks and I'm like, you know, holy cow, that's great value for that round overall. That's a great player. Um, so I really like what the Chiefs did. Um, not a big fan of what the Steelers did. I think they saved their draft a little bit because somehow, um, you know, we let them get uh, George Pickens and Calvin Austin the third. So they they picked two really good receivers in the middle rounds. Um, but that roster still needs a lot of help. And they went ahead and, you know, at least, you know, as far as I'm concerned, having Pickett in the first round is, is a bit of a reach there. So I get what they were trying to do and I get, you know, Hey, big Ben retired and this might be our quarterback of the future. So I get what they were doing. Um, but just personally, not, not a fan of, of, of that draft as well, or that selection more so kind of overshadowing what else they did. I'm a little worried about them picking Pickens just because they've added so many personalities to that receiving room. And, you know, you see players leave that team and talk about it, how, how it's, it is an issue. And you add another guy that seems like a major personality. Not sure how that's going to work. I do, I do love the Calvin Austin pick, though. I feel, like Tom, I feel like Mike Tomlin isn't afraid of personalities. We've seen it before. Like, you know, and, and Antonio Brown put Le'Veon Bell in that mix if you want. But feel like that's not something that Mike Tomlin ever steers away from. He's going to go the talent over the personality every day. 
Yeah, he, he invites that stuff. I, I don't know. He, I guess he just doesn't like to sleep soundly at night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I think it, I want to see it convert to more wins, I think, or more playoff wins because they, they do win a lot of games, but playoff wins. Cool. Thanks, guys. So we're still kind of riding high from the draft. That's why we've been talking about it. It's pretty much all we've been talking about together as well. Um, so before we start to make like our player rankings, which we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks, we have to really explore, you know, which which players rose and fell because of the draft, which guys were the most impacted by the draft picks, whether they're rookies or vets. You know, there, there were a lot of people impacted. So today we will be going through each position, just highlighting some of those players that uh, the three of us thought were the biggest risers and fallers. Um, so guys, if you're ready to jump in, let's start with tackle. And Bobby, I'm going to let you lead it off with the biggest riser. Yeah, I had the biggest riser as Bernard Raymond here. Now, Bernard Raymond wasn't high on my board coming into the draft. Um, I thought he went about where he probably should have, probably a little bit later. Um, but I like him in Indianapolis. I think he's going to get immediate playing time there as a left tackle. I don't think there's a, there's too much competition for him there. Gets to line up right next to Quentin Nelson, which, I mean, you got to love that for a left tackle. That's a great situation. Um, and he gets an experienced quarterback um, calling out calling out schemes, calling out uh, protection. So you know, it's going to go a long way for him. You'd like to see a, a young player like that go to a team that can develop offensive linemen. Um, so I think I, I really like Bernard Raymond's situation there. Cool. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that's a great spot for him. To your point, I think he didn't go too early. They didn't spend a super high draft pick on him. And it just makes his value that much higher. Um, I'm going to highlight Mackay Becton. So the Jets added Garrett Wilson and um, Brees Hall early on in the draft. Two picks that I think will help out not just the quarterback, but also the offensive line. Uh, there was rumors before the draft that Becton could have been traded. And then there were concerns also that the Jets were going to draft a tackle um, because they didn't have a lot of faith in Becton's health. But I think all of those concerns are thrown out the window with the way the Jets drafted. Um, Garrett Wilson allows, you know, uh, Zach Wilson to get the ball out sooner, uh, less time that Becton has to be blocking. Uh, I'm just, I'm really excited about his prospects now. He's definitely somebody on my all 22 list that, I'm taking earlier. Awesome. Yeah, I had uh, I had Tunsil as a as a riser here, Laramie Tunsil. Uh, I think it's just as simple as, you know, he's had a revolving door at guard next to him over there in, in Houston. Uh, no consistency, no steadiness over there, uh, pretty much anywhere else on that line. Um, but getting to play next to Kenyon Green, um, you know, I, I think just kind of adds some stability to the left side of that line and, there's still a ton of holes on that roster there, but I think, you know, given, you know, kind of what you said, Chris, they have an identity now uh, a little bit there, at least on that offensive line, they, they can at least lean on that left side, go, hey, we've got, you know, first round guard, we've got Tunsil there. Um, so opposing defense is probably if you're if you're attacking the uh, the Texans there, you're you're probably doing so on the other side of that line. Um, I just think Tunsil gets a, reboot, a, a nice big boost and kind of a rejuvenation there, if you will being able next to, to play next to a, uh, a talented guy like Green. Love it. What do you do with this gas mask, too, by the way? That was pretty cool before the draft. Yeah. The NFT. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. It was neat. I like the, I like the way you embraced that and uh, kind of turned that into a positive. So I think you're seeing some 
maturation with uh, with Laramie Tunzel too. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree with your take, Ray, but I'll talk about that later, and maybe I'll give you an apology a year from now. All right, writing it down. <laughs> Ray, you want to start off with the interior offensive line? Yeah, so so for me, it's it, it's funny because um, each of these guys haven't really played up to their potential or par here uh, lately, um, but I'm going with Tyree Phillips and or Ben Cleveland, who whoever essentially wins that uh, guard competition over there in Baltimore, um, I think playing next to Linderbaum and a healthier Ronnie Stanley, uh, some more time away from that injury, I think they're going to be in a very good situation. Um, seems like Baltimore, again, with that identity uh, word, you know, again, kind of leaning on the run and what they do best. Um, and it's it's really put up or shut up time for each of these guys. Whoever wins that competition there, I'm more of a Tyree Phillips uh, guy myself, um, but whoever wins that that spot there is really in a great situation um, for a you know third year breakout. So uh, I'm going. It's kind of a twofer, but uh, whoever wins that comp there, Phillips or Ben Cleveland over there in Baltimore. Nice pick. I'm going to go with Caesar Ruiz and Eric McCoy. So while I hated how the Saints drafted, I like the way it's going to impact those two players on the interior of the Saints offensive line. Uh, they add Trevor Penning to tackle. Um, they add a receiver, a really fast receiver, and then they stick with a veteran quarterback. You know, I think offensive linemen do benefit from having veteran presence in the quarterback room, guys that can see things and call things out quicker. Uh, I think that's to their benefit. And then again, adding Chris Olave, hopefully Michael Thomas is back. They're not going to be blocking for as long. So I'm, I'm, I'm high on those guys. You know, I think they were like mid-60s players last year. So I want to see that floor maybe go into the 70s. Maybe they're not guys I take early, but they're guys that I think have risen. Right. You mentioned veteran presence surrounding your players and to kind of feed off of that. My player here that I have as a riser is uh, uh, Tyler Smith. Um, I really like that he's next to two vets in Tyron Smith and Tyler Beatez. also like that Dak Prescott's calling out his um, his pass protections. Um so I think that's a really good situation for him. Obviously, Dallas, you know, they 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 do a good job of developing offensive line talent. I think sitting in a room with Zach Martin and, and Tyron Smith, that's only going to be helpful to Tyler Smith. Getting a little confused here with all the uh, you know the same uh, the same initials, um, but I really like Tyler Smith there. I think it makes sense that he kicks into guard. I think that's a natural fit for him. He's not expected to come in and compete with Terrence Steele at that tackle spot. I think that would be probably bad for his grade. If you did see that happen, I'm probably out on Tyler Smith. It probably wouldn't roster him in all 22, but seeing that he kicks into that left guard spot, love that for him. And um, he's rising up my board based on where he landed. How long do we see him playing guard? Do, is there a chance he moves to tackle in the next few years? You know, I'm, I'm curious about that. I think yeah. Ray could probably answer that one better than me. But um, if, like I said, if he does move to tackle, I'm out. I, I don't. I don't think he projects well as a tackle. Yeah, I, I hope they don't force it. Right it, it, when you watch him, one of the cons in his game is you know a lot of holding penalties and so forth. And if you watch him, half of those get cut down if he's just playing inside at guard, right? Because some of it's just him being just extra over there on the edge when he doesn't have to be because he's just like an angry child playing on the edge and just can't get away with stuff that he would normally do on the inside. Um, 
I do think just because he has 34-inch arms, you don't go, okay, well, let's move him to tackle in three years when Tyron Smith leaves. If he's having success at guard, don't force it just because he's got long arms and you drafted him in the first round. I do think guard is a good spot for him and a good fit for him. Um, so, you know, we'll see. They did move Lyle Collins from guard to tackle after a couple of years, and that seemed to work out. But I would be higher on Smith if they do keep him at guard, as I do think that's a better fit for him, just given his overall game and the power aspect of everything and the little bit of you know refinement that he does need. So uh, I'm with Bobby. If he stays at guard, I'm higher on his prospects than if they eventually move him to tackle. Yeah, I like that take. All right, I'm going to lead off tight end with uh, TJ Hawkinson on the Lions. So veteran presence in the quarterback room they decide not to take a quarterback and stick with jared goff for at least another year i like that for hawkinson but what i like even more is the addition of wide receiver jameson williams so um you guys know i was a big fan of henry ruggs while he was still on the raiders um that element of being able to take the top off of a defense is huge i think for the tight end position specifically uh it gives more opportunity for them to get open less safety coverage on top um, just more ability to make plays for your quarterback. Uh, so the addition of Jamison Williams, that speed is going to really help Hawkinson in the long run. Yeah, Jamison Williams, um, DJ Chark, and then Amon St. Brown in a second year. That only helps DJ Hawkinson. So definitely like that as a, as a rising tight end. I had here, I had Isaiah Likely, the, the rookie coming out into um, uh, Baltimore. I like him in Baltimore. Again, I like... I like teams that are known to develop certain positions well, and I think Baltimore develops tight ends very well. Obviously, he goes into a crowded room. They drafted, I think, two tight ends this year. So it is a crowded room. He's going to have to compete. I think he has the skill set to compete. If you look at Nick Boyle, the, the second tight end there in Baltimore, I think Isaiah Lively can come in and compete with Nick Boyle for that second spot behind Mark Andrews. Boyle's grades have been slipping in past years. And like I said, I think Isaiah likely has the skill set to go in there. And um, I think Baltimore is the team that knows how to use that skill set. Because honestly, uh, a, a second tight end in Baltimore is like a first tight end on a regular team. So um, really like that spot for Isaiah likely. He's somebody I'll probably target in a late round. Yeah, likely was one of my favorite draft picks. He's he's a super smooth route runner, and I think that goes underrated. Um, and I love that for Baltimore, right? They traded away Marquise Brown, so you know, adding a receiving option is good. You know that Lamar Jackson likes to throw to tight ends, so mm -hmm. I think that he he eventually does uh, have a big role there. Absolutely, yeah, I liked likely a lot. I went with Trey McBride here. Um, you know, loved him as a prospect going over to Arizona and you have Ertz kind of on the way out, you know, maybe he's got another year left or so, which is kind of good to go into the room uh, with a vet like that starting out since tight ends normally do take a little bit of time to, uh, to peak and reach their potential there. Um, but at the same time, he does have some opportunity in the passing game, especially with the, the Hopkins suspension there. Um, you know, I, I think just overall, it's a good landing spot for an athletic guy like McBride. Uh, and he's a good enough prospect where he can kind of go in there, uh, you know, have his sort of rookie year learning the ropes, having a guy like Urs in the room, and then really taking over thereafter. So I'm a big fan of Trey McBride's landing spot there. So riser for me, for sure, at tight end. Bobby, start us off at receiver. Yeah, so to this point, I've gone all rookies, and I think this will be my first veteran pick. Um, 
I really like I really like Amonra St. Brown. Last year he went to a team that virtually had no weapons other than TJ Hawkinson. Um, I think what the Lions have done this offseason should alleviate some of that pressure, take some of the focus away from Amonra St. Brown. I think his grade last year was uh, around a 79. So I think having guys like DJ Chark, they just added Jamison Williams. Obviously, TJ Hawkins are coming back. Solid offensive line and a commitment to Jared Goff. I think that only helps for someone like Amonra St. Brown. So really like him going into this year. I really like everything that the Lions have done, and I think that'll help um, Amonra's grade. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I think I think he benefits a lot the same way TJ Hawkinson does. Uh, my pick here was C.D. Lamb. Uh, C.D. Lamb, you know, people view him kind of as like this binge number one receiver. And like when they talk about the guys under 25 that you would take first, he's kind of the name that sometimes gets left off the list. But I don't really think that makes a lot of sense, especially with what Dallas has done this offseason. So they get rid of Cooper. They add a receiver in the draft, Jalen Tolbert, who's really a true number three. Um, and Lamb shares should be going up. He's going to get a lot more opportunity, a lot more targets. Um, you know, I'm, I'm super high on him. I think, you know, we've talked about how production in regular fantasy football does translate to what we're doing at All-22, and I think Lamb's a great example of that. So I would continue to target Lamb. Yeah, definitely would like to see him get, get more of those uh, Cooper targets. I, I went with Rashad Bateman here. Um, I think he progressed as well, you know, again, coming off of his uh, initial rookie year there. Again, that fit and identity word with, with Baltimore, right? They kind of focused again on sort of rejuvenating that running game and, and having that threat on offense, I think it's going to help uh, Bateman there along with the threat of Andrew still in the passing game. So I think Baltimore gets back to doing what they do best, but uh, without Hollywood, there's, there's still a nice uh, target share there for Bateman um, to work with and, and produce more than he has to date. Um, so I've, I've got the arrow pointing up on Rashad Bateman. Funny, I actually have Bateman as my my faller after the Ooh. draft, so we'll oh, have to wow. get into that later. I'll address that one later, but I'm okay. glad you said that. That's good. Good, good. Ray, do you want to kick off running back? Sure, yeah. So I have uh, Tony Pollard as a riser, and uh, for me, it's simple as Dallas seems to kind of get back to their physical ground game. Um with this draft, not just with the Tyler Smith pick, but you see uh, Jake Ferguson uh, selected uh, later on as well. Um, with Without Cooper and Michael Gallup being injured, at least for the early part of the season coming off that ACL tear, um, you know, I think the, the Cowboys are going to focus more both on, on the running game, but also uh, they, they do need you know to kind of get a little more creative with their passing game and use their weapons a bit more given the loss of Cooper and the Gallup injury. And that's where Pollard uh, likely slides in there and gets some more targets in the pass game as well. And, you know, he really excels in space overall. So um, I think, well, I know they should uh, definitely kind of lean on Pollard more as a playmaker in that regard. And I think uh, given their situation in the passing game with some of their other weapons, I think, um, you know, this is the year for Pollard to do that. You guys know I'm always skeptical of, of running backs that have, done well in a limited role, just getting more opportunity uh, or not getting more opportunity, but getting the bulk of the opportunity. You know, I think Pollard has done really well with what he's been asked to do. And I would be interested to see if he can keep it up in a, in a much bigger role. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. But my, my pick is J.K. Dobbins, the, um, 
to what Ray said before about them and what I had said. They found their identity and they found it in the run game. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, if he comes back and he's healthy, uh, I think he's going to do a great job there. You know, they add Tyler Linderbaum to that offensive line. Um, they they trade away Marquise Brown, so they're, they're committing to the run game, and I, I think Dobbins chairs are going to go through the roof. Yeah, I like that pick. Um, for similar similar reasons, I like um, I like Saquon Barkley. I think that's like the obvious, easy answer here. Um, it was pretty heavily speculated that the Giants were going to target James Cook, and seeing that, you'd think, okay, James Cook came off the board a little bit earlier than they expected. Maybe they would go and get a guy like Pierre Strong or or Damian Pierce, whoever. Um, but they didn't do that. Added no running backs in the draft, but instead, between the free agency and the draft, the Giants added 10 offensive linemen. So I think that's huge, especially when there was already about you know five guys there that could compete for starting roles. So to see the Giants bolster that offensive line, I think only helps Saquon Barkley. I think what that'll do is, <laughs> I mean, we saw – we saw how often Saquon was getting hit in the backfield. Um, I think what that'll do is open up things for Saquon to create more explosive, explosive plays, you know, force more missed tackles, more yards after contact, but also in the pass game too, right? So as long as Daniel Jones is on his feet, Saquon can be that threat in the pass game that we know he can be so long as Daniel Jones has time. So I think what the Giants did to their offensive line, I think that helps Saquon Barkley the most in this group of running backs. And I hope Gosh, right. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like it's kind of like we say it every year. Like we we find ways to be like, okay, I think this is going to help Saquon. This is going to help unlock Saquon. And then every year it's just like, no, he's still not being used the right way. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We all have Saquon Saquon share somehow, some way. So we're all we're all rooting for him. But I'm going to yeah. kick off quarterback with Zach Wilson. Same reasons for Mekhi Becton. So, you know, they, they shared up their offensive line this offseason. They add what I think is a number one receiver. They now have a deep receiving room, and they add a true running back, an every-down running back to, to spell with Michael Carter. Um, there's, there's no reason for him not to be able to succeed now. He has no excuses. And I think if he doesn't succeed, the Jets are now, like, the, the landing spot for a veteran quarterback next offseason. So... Um, I'd like to see Zach Wilson succeed, and I think he has every opportunity to. Bobby, kick it off. Interesting. I thought you always hated Zach Wilson. <laughs> um, honestly, look, I think in a in a quarterback class like this, I think the answer to this question is every veteran quarterback in the league is a winner, right? Even Mitch mm-hmm. Trubisky is a winner. But um, I'd say my my answer here is Carson Wentz. So Wentz graded really well at the end of the season last year. When the Colts went on that winning streak, Carson Wentz was a large part of that winning streak. Um, so I think if he can pick up, pick up where he left off, I think he's in good shape. Bringing in Sam Howell, I don't think that's a real threat to his, his playing time. I don't think Sam Howell is a legitimate threat to Carson Wentz. You saw the commanders invest in Jahan Dotson, who was one of my favorite receivers coming out of the draft. To add to Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin, really like that set of uh, of weapons for Carson Wentz. Although this might be Carson Wentz's last chance, I think this is probably his best chance. So really excited for him. I think this is going to be. I think this could be a very good year for him if he's able to pick up where he left off. 
Speaking of last chances, whatever happened to that show, Last Chance You? I feel like I don't see it anymore. I don't know what happened there. Um, but uh, I, I had someone who I thought was on his last chance, and, and I guess maybe he is, but at least he's got that chance now is you, kind of what you said about the veteran quarterbacks there, Bobby, but Jameis, right? I, I still don't love the offense. I'm a little skeptical without Sean Payton there, and I didn't really love their process as far as the draft was concerned with like the multiple trade-ups. And I'm not a big penning guy. I think you guys know that by now. But they did invest in in Chris Olave, and they did, uh, you know, at least in, invest in Trevor Penning to fill that need they had on the offensive line. Um, so you know, he's got the clear, you know, path to start now. He's got that opportunity. Michael Thomas is coming back. Uh, they do have Olave in the mix now as another weapon in the passing game. So um, you know, just another year of stability without kind of looking over his shoulder uh, for Jameis. So. If you kind of had him a week ago as someone who, you know, might be on the outs if the Saints made a move up for a quarterback or selected one in the first round, that didn't happen. So uh, Jameis gets another life here, and uh, we'll see what happens. It's interesting because we talked about during the draft how there was there was less teams this year than in previous years that we looked at what they did in the draft and were like, I completely disagree with that. Like, teams seemed to target high-value positions. They didn't reach on pl- many players that we wouldn't have picked but I feel like the Saints were that one team that did it wrong, right? And you're right, Jameis Winston is going to benefit from this, but, it, you know, that defense is crumbling, and now they don't have future picks. So I'm, I'm very confused with what they're trying to do and, and, and the fact that they think they're that much of a contender to win now. All right, so we talked about the, the guys that did really well, guys we think are going to be on the rise, that we're going to be drafting earlier than we would have. Now let's jump to the other side and say, who are the guys that are going to fall? So, Ray, I'm going to ask you to start off at the tackle position. Yeah, so for me, my faller is uh, Brady Christensen over at, in Carolina. Um, you know, he was drafted pretty early on just a year ago. Um, but with the selection of Iquanu there uh, and Moten over there at tackle, at the very least, his position, how he takes a hit, he's probably going to be moving inside to guard. Um, so now he's moving to a new position. He was always an older rookie anyway. I think the quick turnaround with a, uh, with a tackle selection, uh, you know, this past season just doesn't really bode well for his prospects and maybe tells us a lot. He's now got to compete with Austin Corbett and Pat Elfline on the interior there. Um, so it's, it's a lot of uncertainty around, uh, surrounding him. So I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of how the draft went for his prospects. Definitely a faller in my book. Yeah, interesting. That's a, that's a good pick. Staying in the NFC, um, I'm going with Tyron Smith as my as my post draft faller. I knew that would get a, a rise out of you, Ray. Um, <clears throat> another year older. He, you know, obviously playing in the NFC East, plays the plays my Giants twice a year, and it almost seemed like you know you're going against you know Lorenzo Carter, O'Shane Zimenez twice a year. It's like too easy games to get a 90 grade, whatever it was, right? Because there's really no threat there. Now he's got to go against Kayvon Thibodeau twice a year, Chase Young, right? And and a Philly defense who can scheme pass rush pretty well. I don't think there's any easy games as far as a, a, a pass rush, um, from a pass rush consideration in the NFC East. And now he has to do all of this next to a rookie left guard, I think there's definitely going to be some growing pains there from a rookie left guard right next to him. Um, so I'd say Tyron Smith is falling down my board just a little bit because of the competition he's going to have to go next, go, go against. 
and the uh, inexperience playing right next to him. Go ahead, Ray. Lay into me. You make some points. He makes some points. It's just uh, Kayvon's going to have a welcome to the NFL moment, and that's probably going to be against Tyron Smith. So Yeah. I wrote this. I wrote this one down last night when you made that point on the other podcast. You said right. that Kayvon's gonna have a welcome to the NFL moment from Tyron Smith. I'm like, no, no, he's not. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I was like pausing not to say anything because I wanted to see Ray come back from that. Yeah. Um, but my my pick was Ray's riser. It's Laramie Tunzel. So Ray said that he feels that the Texans found their identity. I kind of think the opposite. You know, we talked about doing things half-baked, and I feel like the Texans did this draft half-baked. They went defense with their first pick with Derek Stingley. Um, I think a corner – so this is something I wanted to actually discuss with you guys. So one thing that I kind of feel is that a cornerback is a pick that you pick when you have other things. It's almost like it's it's the cherry on the top that puts you over the edge and makes you like a Super Bowl contender. I'm not sure it's a foundational piece that you draft early to, to build your team around. And especially a guy like Derek Stingley, where there's a lot of questions around him. To me, that didn't feel like the right pick. I would have loved to seen them take a tackle to pair with Laramie Tunzel. And then if they grabbed that guard, I would have been a lot higher about this. Um, but I, I don't feel that way now. What do you guys feel about like adding the cornerback instead of adding a tackle as like your foundation? Go ahead, Rick. I think from a pure team building aspect, I get, I value tackle more just given how it impacts the most important position in your franchise, that being the quarterback, right? And helping him out uh, more so than anyone else. Um, But at the same time, the Texans don't really have that franchise quarterback asset that they for sure covet, you know, that they invested a, a high pick in or anything like that. You know, yeah, Davis Mills is probably getting another year and, you know, maybe you like a few of the things he did, but I don't think there's any certainty around him being a franchise guy. So if you have Stingley higher, that's your top guy, you know, go ahead and get him. I, I do think there's probably a little more value than you're giving credit for as it relates to a top cornerback. Um, but in the sense of the Texans, they do have so many holes that like the benefit of a cornerback changing the geometry of your defense by being a shutdown guy isn't really there because there's just so many holes everywhere else that there's so many places for the for their opposition to attack. So I get it, but shoot, it doesn't take nine years to build a team, right? I, I can see Stingley starting for a very long time at a very high level. So I don't hate the pick by any means. Um, in a vacuum, yes, give me a, a top offensive tackle. Uh, before a corner in that situation, but I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. And and Stingley was swagged out at the draft. You just look at that guy and you're like, no, he's yeah, he's he's gonna be fine. Yeah, and, and, and I don't hate it either. Kind of, almost like kind of for that reason, right? Like you almost, you really want a guy that's gonna bring swagger to a team like the Texans, a team that lacks all this culture, lacks a, a, a winning culture. You're going to want somebody that's going in there and, you know, beating his chest. I'm the best. We're the best, you know. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really feel like, yeah, he can be that foundational piece if he's like that Richard Sherman type where, you know, he's he's um, improving the culture, improving the locker room culture in Houston. So I do like the pick. I understand that, you know, tackle presents a, a larger positional value. Um, 
But I think looking beyond just positional value, but looking at team culture and trying to establish a winning culture in, in Houston, I think a player like Derek, St- Derek Stingley goes a long way. Okay. Yeah. And then just finishing off on Tunzel, you know, he's 27 years old. These should be his prime years. I don't think there's, any, you know, if, if, if the team building takes two more years, he's going to be at the end of the road. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to wait for that. That's why I think he's a follower in my book. But Bobby, why don't you kick, kick it off on the inside? I'm just going to say, you kept, you kept saying half-baked for the Texan strategy, and I think you're taking some veiled shots at uh, Tunsil's gas mask there. I don't appreciate that. So <laughs> I'm just going to say that first. I'm going to defend my wiser. So. That was pretty good. I'm pretty sure he was fully baked. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, interior offensive line, my biggest faller, I'm going Garrett Bradbury in Minnesota. Um, Minnesota really didn't address their interior offensive line in the draft or in free agency. In the draft, they get Ed Ingram in the second round to play guard next to Garrett Bradbury. Bradbury, who already doesn't grade necessarily well, now has some inexperienced guard to go next to him. And then you also see teams in their division, like the Packers, who are bolstering their defensive line. Um, I don't think that bodes well for Bradbury, and I'm staying away from him in all of my startup drafts. Okay. So, Bobby, you're not going to really love this take, but I have John Feliciano as my pick. Um, when you were talking about Saquon, you had mentioned that the Giants added like 10 offensive linemen this offseason. And I get that taking shots and throwing throwing darts at the wall is a good way to find find some risers. I don't want to gamble on that, right? Like, I don't want to be the one that's gambling to find that guy that is going to be the one that ends up doing well. Um, and I would have really liked to see, I think we all would have liked to see the Giants come back into the first round and get one of those interior linemen to help out this group. I think the interior of this offensive line is still not making a pun here, but again, half-baked. It's like, it's just not what I would have wanted to see them do. I think if if I'm one of the guys that's, that's drafting in the 15th, 16th, 17th round and I have to get my guard or my center, he's probably somebody I pass on. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, and and I probably would have had Feliciano here too, but I don't want to. I don't want to use this podcast, this platform, to just keep talking about the Giants. So I I did leave him off. Um, I think we see that center has the I think the lowest positional value on offense. So from the Giants' perspective, I kind of understand why they wouldn't want to go you know all in and trading up for a Tyler Vanderbom, let's say. So. I do understand what they're going for. They get a veteran guy that's familiar with what Brian Dable's trying to do. And then they're kind of loading up um, the interior around Feliciano, hoping hoping that helps him out. So I think he's definitely a stopgap center. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there's long-term value there. So I, I, I do tend to agree with you. One, one of the interesting things about that too is center is kind of like the middle linebacker of the offense. Like maybe you put a guy on the field that isn't the top performer but sees things really well and is able to call out what needs to be done before the play. I think he does add a, add a uh, element of that. You just don't know how much that's going to impact his PFF grade and his all 22 right. scoring. Right. Agreed. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to complete the, uh, the fallers here with uh, another center in Tyler Biotish. Bobby mentioned him earlier. Um, yes. As a first round rookie uh, next to him now on the left side, 
but he is a bit of a raw rookie in, in Tyler Smith, right? And so while, you know, being next to Tyron Smith would help someone like, uh, like Tyler Smith, um, having a rookie next to him, I, I don't think is the greatest thing for, for Biotish. Also, they, they don't really love him in the building there in Dallas. Um, you know, they, they really like, you know, some of their earlier picks, you know, from a year or two ago, like, uh, Matt Farniak and, uh, possibly McGovern at that center spot too. I think they're breeding some competition in that room. Um, you know, there, there, there are some things going for Biotish, like a, you know, possible third year breakout and so forth, and maybe more focus on the running game. But um, he definitely has to just be better. Uh, and I'm not sure a rookie, um, you know, playing next to him is the best thing for him. And also more than anything else, he now has to deal with Jordan Davis twice a year. So, um, you know, there's that, that that's not going to help, help his grade very much uh, with that interdivision matchup. And um, again, with the weapons that they have in Dallas being injured in Michael Gallup and having lost Amari Cooper, there may be some more traffic in the box uh, that they face as an offense, um, just adding to, to more traffic and some different looks that they're going to have to deal with, um, which can be detrimental to his performance as well. So I've, I've got the arrow pointing down on Tyler Biotish, despite a few things going for him um, heading into year three. I'm going to lead off tight end. So I picked Hayden Hurst. I, honestly, like I looked at the tight end position and like there was a lot of rookies that got taken in places where there were veterans. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing for the veteran. Um, so the reason I went Hayden Hurst is because I think he's going to have the worst matchups on a consistent basis. So when you look at the teams that they play twice a year, it's the Steelers, the Browns, and the Ravens. All three of those teams have invested extremely heavily at the safety position. The Browns, you know, Ronnie Harrison and John Johnson. Steelers have uh, Edmonds, and now the Ravens sign Marcus Williams, and then in the draft add Kyle Hamilton. You know, no matter who they're facing, that's six. You know, that's six games a year that I think he's going to have extremely difficult matchups, and he's not a guy to begin with that I'm super confident in now going to this division, having these matchups. I don't love his futures. Yeah, I think that's a good pick there, Chris. Tight, tight end's a little tough. Um, I went with Mo Cox um, in Indianapolis. We see his grades slipping year after year. Um, when he first came onto the scene, he had some pretty solid grades, and to see that kind of slip, and then to also see that – the, the Colts have drafted tight ends in the first three rounds, <clears throat> excuse me, in the last two years. I don't think that that bodes well for, for Mo Alley-Cox. So in previous drafts, I had loaded up on, on my uh, Mo Alley-Cox stock, um, but I think at this point I'm probably done with that. So seeing them get Jelani Woods, that was probably the final straw for me. Yeah, I, I almost went with uh, Mo Ali Cox for this one, but um, if you uh, you know follow us on Twitter, um, you know, you you know that I have you know a lot of skepticism surrounding Dalton Schultz, and he's a faller for me at the tight end spot. I, I think he helped a lot of people last year, graded really well at a position that you know was was pretty scarce for for top performers um, for all twenty two users. But um, you see, the Cowboys are not really in a rush to commit to him long-term and give him a long-term extension. They drafted uh, Jake Ferguson this, this past weekend, who is essentially just a, another Dalton Schultz right around the time they took Dalton Schultz originally. Um, 
So I, I don't see them committing to Schultz long term. And then even his performance that you know was graded, uh, you know, very well um, in 2021. It, it wasn't necessarily due to you know some great playmaking ability. He's got you know a 7.0 average depth of target, which was 22nd among tight ends in the league with a minimum of 30 targets. Uh, it, versus man coverage, it was you know only 7.1 um, you know yards for his average depth of target, which is 25th out of 35 qualifying tight ends. Um, you know, versus man coverage, he only had 15, uh, 14 catches for 137 yards. And then versus zone, he had 56 catches versus six, uh, for 605 yards. So uh, the bulk of his production was really just against zone coverages where a lot of the you know defensive focus was on guys like Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and then focusing on the run game. So he was more so the beneficiary of the weapons around him and the checkdowns that he was fed as a result of that. Without Amari Cooper, with an injured Michael Gallup, I don't see him having those same you know benefits um you know in 2022 and then beyond if he's on a new team you know can he create for himself and still grade well when he's not in such a great situation i have my doubts and it looks like dallas does too because they're not committing to him long term right now and they just drafted kind of a carbon copy there with jake ferguson so um you know he may be a bit of an asset for you this year but i'm i'm you know i'm looking to either trade him move him or just not draft him as high as I did a year ago. Dalton Schultz was like my team's kryptonite last year. I can't tell you how many teams I faced in all 22 that added him at some point in the season and got incredible play every single time I faced him. It was it was brutal. Can't hate him for taking advantage of this situation, but um, yeah, I'm not sure how long the situation is going to be there to take advantage. Cool. Ray, lead it off at receiver. Yeah, I'll kick off the uh, receiver fallers with Deontay Johnson. Uh, everyone knows and agrees that Big Ben was cooked last year. It was just like a giant scarecrow. Just, you know, couldn't push the ball downfield or anything. But I think he was a good fit for Johnson, who really just kind of excels in just getting that quick separation not too far downfield and just getting some yards after catch and so forth. Um, I think that was tailor-made for just kind of like old man Roethlisberger out there on the field. Um but now the Steelers did what the Steelers do, and they drafted both Pickens and Calvin Austin there. Um, and I don't love uh, Pickett at, at quarterback. I mean, I've said that enough already. Um, there's just a lot of a lot of things going on there for me to feel uh, totally comfortable with Johnson. I love the player. I like what he brings to the table. But I, I do think the fit with Pickett isn't as good as it was, even with a you know broken down Ben Roethlisberger over there. And then just how do things shake out with, you know, a lot more weapons in that receiver room? Um, he may not get the same amount of opportunities that he did in the past to produce. So definitely a faller for me, but I still like the player and, you know, wouldn't mind having him at, at, you know, on my team, but not sure he's a, you know, number one or number two receiver in my lineup next year. Steelers fans are not going to like you, right? And this is and this is a week after you just ostracized the, the Lions fans, too. Making enemies of a lot of fan bases out there, right? I'll, I'll move to a warm weather city. That's fine. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't like his drops last year, and I think the player I have on my list, DK Metcalf, suffers from a similar thing. That's not why I have him as a faller. I have him as a faller because they didn't add the quarterback. Right? Everybody wanted them to be the team to add Malik Willis to invest in Desmond Ritter. You know, we saw the second round come and go, and 
the Seahawks passed again. Do I think maybe it was the right move for the long term? Yes. Do I think it drastically affects Metcalf's ability to produce in the short term? I do. Um, I still I still want him. Kind of to your point, right? Like I still want this guy. Like I I think he's a great player. I just don't think in the short term there's going to be much benefit to having him around. Similar to Ray, I'm staying in the AFC North. Um, my follower at receiver is Rashad Bateman, um, which actually was Ray's riser. Um, I don't know. I just don't see enough. I don't see that they did enough to support his environment, right? So last year he graded in the low 60s. He was there with Marquise Brown and Sammy Watkins and still graded in the low 60s. I don't think you've seen enough to say, okay, this is my number one guy. He's going to get the you know, the, the majority of the focus from, um, from the secondaries that we face, and he's going to grade well. I don't, I don't see that. Um, I think they loaded up on tight end, um, and I feel like that's just going to take away from Rashad Bateman. So I don't know. I would have liked to have seen the, the Ravens go and get another guy that could, that could you know, threaten, the secondary, threaten opposing secondaries a little bit better than a guy like Devin Duvernay, like, I, I, I don't know. I just, that's just not a scary group. And I think that hurts Rashad Bateman. It's, it's not scary till uh, year two, Rashad Bateman takes the field and everyone remembers, oh, this is why this guy was a first round pick and would have been probably a top 10 pick or top 12 pick at receiver in this year's class. So, sorry, right. I, I get it though. I, I you know, it, he's, gonna for sure face the number one opposing corner now moving forward especially with yeah. hollywood brown there but um i don't think he's gonna face much of bracket coverage given that offense the teams are gonna focus more on kind of the middle there and in, in andrews and and i think he gets enough wins in that type of situation to produce a lot more than people think but i, yeah, I get it's the not concern. it's not so much rashad bateman that i have a problem with it's just that like You'd like to see them get a, a, another guy, another guy of similar stature to to go alongside of them, and and I don't think they have that. So the rumor like was said, they wanted. I, uh, Calvin I do think Austin. that could hurt. That could hurt him. Yeah. What's that, Chris? The rumor was they were tra- they were uh, targeting Calvin Austin, and uh, the Steelers sniped him. Steelers Ooh. or yeah, I think it was the division snipe there. I like it. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, I'll give Pittsburgh a win on that one. See, there you go. Good job, Pittsburgh. Bobby, kick off the running back room. So going with running backs, I'm going Dalvin Cook here. Um, touched on it earlier that I didn't feel like they did enough to bolster their interior offensive line. Um, and again, looking at teams in their division that bolstered their interior defensive line, I think that's not going to bode well for Dalvin Cook. So I have Dalvin Cook as my faller. Honestly, wasn't in love with Minnesota's draft on the whole, but um, I do think we see Dalvin Cook sort of slip in our rankings. That's a good take. My my guy from last year was Najee Harris. I, I really liked him coming into the draft process. He went to a team. You guys remember me at the draft being furious about a few things. One of them was Najee landing with the Steelers. That, off- that offensive line is in shambles. Um, and instead of addressing it this year, they go ahead and draft a rookie quarterback, which will only make it harder for Najee. Um, so unfortunately my, my Najee shares are going down. Uh, the only thing I will say that I do like is that they didn't, the Steelers didn't trade two first round picks, like a future first to move up and get their quarterback. 
So they still have that pick next year. I think it is something that they will address. I just think it's going to end up taking way more time. And Najee is not a young, he wasn't a young rookie last year. He's, he's only getting older. Hopefully you see like a lot of check downs to Najee, right? I think that's like his best case scenario is you're stretching the field with those, you know, three or four receivers that, you know, that are, that are in that room. And you're seeing a lot of check downs from your quarterback to, to Najee and giving him a lot of opportunity in the receiving game. So and that's best case scenario, but I think that's a good, that's a good pick. Yeah. Agreed there. Um, my followers Rashad Penny. He, he finished the year kind of really strong there, right? Four out of the last five games with 130 plus yards. He kind of had, he had an 80 plus grade to finish the year. So I think a lot of people were, were going, oh, did, did the Seahawks find something here with this guy, right? They have a ton of holes, but uh, maybe they at least have a running back in the, you know, in the short term. Uh, he was a first round pick. So, you know, maybe it just took him a while to get going. And then they went ahead. And while I, I love their uh, offensive tackle picks, right, they, they are more pass protectors than anything else. Um, you know, still good, you know, again, cross is fine in the run game, but more of a pass protector there. And um, they went ahead and took uh, Kenneth Walker. So I guess that tells you all you need to know about what they think about Penny. So he's not going to get that volume and opportunity that you thought he might um, coming out of that big finish last season. So he's not going to be buoyed into a big role. Um, so it's just, yeah, I had some hopes for, for Penny before the draft and the Kenneth Walker pick just really shattered it. So I'm down on Rashad Penny. Are you also down on Kenneth Walker? I feel like that, that situation is just kind of a nightmare. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad situation. Um, he's going to, it's kind of like obscurity. You're going to go there. You're going to play behind a pretty poor line. Um, but it's not the worst situation in the world either in the sense that they do at least have some, you know, downfield receiving weapons in Metcalf and Lockett. So maybe that does allow you some room to breathe, uh, you know, against the, the second level of the defense. They're not going to pack the box so much, but um, you know, you don't know what that quarterback situation is going to look like. And uh, that offensive line is still just not very good. So it's not a great situation by any means. It's it's probably pretty poor, but uh, it's not the worst we've seen recently. So, yeah, don't love it for Walker either, but um, just rest in peace, my potential Rashad Penny shares that I was looking forward to later on this year. Awesome. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick off quarterback. So I have written down Trevor Lawrence, but I'm – Gonna also, I'm gonna add one, and I'm gonna say Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Um, both of these guys were my top quarterbacks last year. Like I would have, I would have taken them if I was an NFL team. I would have taken them one, two over the other guys. Saying that, I think they went to probably the worst situations they could have. Jacksonville goes defense, defense in the first round. They spend a ton of money on a receiver that is a below average one, in my opinion in Christian Kirk. Uh, and I just don't know what they're trying to do, right? We talk about building an identity. When you add a quarterback that you think is the future of your franchise, I just can't believe that they haven't done more to surround him with talent and also to block for him. I think that's going to be a major concern. I wouldn't be surprised. And on top of that, this is his uh, second head coach in two years. Um, you know, I'm, I'm worried about him. I'm worried about his situation. And all of the same things can be said for Justin Fields goes to the Bears, which was already a bad situation. They lose Allen Robinson. They do not replace him with, with anyone of, of note, uh, noteworthy. 
and then they don't invest in the offensive line with with premium picks. Uh, I'm I'm worried about those guys. I think both of their futures are a little cloudy now. Yeah, we looked at the Bears and saw how they they weren't like like kind of like what you said, not investing in um, premium positional value with those high picks. Um, the, the few that they had after trading for Justin Fields. So totally agree with you there. Um, I also, <laughs> I also had two guys listed cause it was tough for me to decide the first. I know, I know. I'm sorry, Ray. Um, uh, the first guy that we have to mention, I think is Aaron Rodgers. Um, I think to see them go double down on defense in the first round, I know Chris and it, and it pains me cause I'm a huge Aaron Rodgers fan. But to see them double down on defense, not that they're bad players, not that they're not worthy of those draft picks, um, just to see them not help him after losing Devontae Adams, you know, I think that I think that's that that's tough for for Rodgers. Um, and then to see them go in the second round and get Christian Watson, who I do like, but then to see that you know he's being compared to MVS, getting him another MVS, and Watson uh, Rodgers, we know is such a big rapport guy, and. I just don't know. I, I just don't see it. Um, let me let me jump in. I'd love to have seen them get get a more help, even if, it, if it, even if it was offensive line help. Let me let me jump in because I I completely agree with you, and I think you knew you knew I liked the Wyatt pick at twenty eight, but they used twenty two on a linebacker. If they had used twenty two on Wyatt and twenty eight on Watson, they would have been able to keep both of their second round picks. They traded two second round picks to get Watson. And Ray, you said earlier about the Chiefs getting uh, Sky Moore with a a pick in the fifties, right? Like I would have much rather seen the Packers get Wyatt at twenty two, get Christian Watson at twenty eight, and have those two second round picks. They could have added a linebacker then. Uh, Nicobe Dean was still available at that point. They could have drafted Nicobe Dean at that point and then used another second round pick on a receiver like a Sky Moore. So it's it's definitely disappointing. It's also disappointing considering what other teams were able to trade to move up into the first round. Like what did the, what did the Vikings get to move back like 10 spots? Like they got like a fifth round pick or something to move back 10 spots in the first round. If the Packers wanted to do that and get a guy like Christian Watson, why was it so expensive? Why did they decide to wait until the Vikings were on the board? Right? Like I feel like they spent premium picks that they didn't need to because they waited too long. That's just like like just my like opinion. I said you when we were watching the draft. It was expensive because it was the Vikings, <laughs> right? Know, trading with their division, there I think there's a premium to pay on that because you can't you can't get burned in their division, especially. All right. My rant is over. Continue. Who? What else were you going to say? Only, only other thing I was going to say is you know the the other guy I had on the list was was Ryan Tannehill. I think his his window is is already pretty short with you know having only one more year left on his deal. You know, uh, Derek Henry's getting a little older. We saw him getting hurt last last season, so I think the window in Tennessee is getting um, getting smaller. Um, and then to see them deal AJ Brown and and bring in a rookie, um, and then bring in Malik Willis later on, I don't know. I I feel like Ryan Tannehill's on some shaky ground there. So probably, you know, we saw him grade so well a couple of years ago. And people were drafting him high. And I don't think we're going to see that again. So when you say that, do you think that there is value in investing in a Malik Willis? In a startup draft, maybe. 
maybe you're taking him as like, you know, that Mr. Irrelevant round. Um, but no, I, I, I just don't see drafting late, late round quarterbacks, mid round quarterbacks in a startup draft like that. And there's too many more valuable guys who can reach your snap count minimum or are going to contribute something to your team, especially if it, even if it's just you're looking for an auto sub guy, you know, I don't think Malik Willis is that guy, even when he does get playing time. I don't, I don't, I'm just not a big Malik Willis guy where, where he is. Yeah. You'll, you'll get no disagreement from me there uh, pertaining to Willis. I did just choose one guy and that's uh, Kyler Murray. I just think the off season has been a mess over there. Um, the latest news about Hopkins being suspended too. I'm not a big Hollywood Brown believer and um it's just it's just been a weird off season there, and I don't know. He just like I said before, he just kind of acts like a child. Like I don't know. I'm not a fan of how God. he's going about his business. Uh, just to, to be totally frank, like you know, this whole Instagram delete this and delete that. It's like you know, that's leave that to the receivers. Leave that to the receivers and the corners. You know, who who wear shades indoors and stuff like that. Like you're, well, if that's you're a nobody. To a, nobody should be doing that. It's childish. Well, yeah, but but you know, I'm just. I expect that from from receivers. I don't expect that from a franchise quarterback who starts out hot and then always will slate anyway um, and has work to do on his game. I think a lot of people, um, especially last year and some of those initial startups and you know maybe coming up here soon because of his age and a wide open offense are kind of saying, hey, this th- he's, he might be one of the top five quarterbacks off the board. And I just don't see it. And and even aside from Hopkins suspension, he's now 30. I think he's got kind of like this, uh, you know, they could save some money by cutting him against the cap after this season. So I'm not sure how stable that future is. And um, yeah, for a team that starts hot and then usually fades late, are they even going to start hot anymore? Um, I just think there's a lot going on there. And um yeah, I'm not taking Kyler as one of the top five or six quarterbacks off the board in any startups this year. So, I mean, obviously there's still a lot there with his legs and, you know, he's young enough and, and whatever. So he's going to probably be a starter for someone in your league. But I think he's right now, there's a lot going on there that I just don't like. And, um, you know, maybe most of it ends up just being off season noise, but I don't think all of it does. So I'm fading Kyler a bit here. I'm not going to go on record and call him a child, but, uh, you know, one of the differences I see with like a guy like Lamar Jackson, Lamar knows his strengths, but he also seems to want to work really hard on, on getting better and fixing his weaknesses. Um, he also has a coach that knows what to do and how to develop quarterbacks and, and, and pushes him to do those things to, to get better and become a true quarterback. I feel like on Kyler's side, it's the complete opposite. Like, the things that he doesn't do well, it seems like they kind of ignore. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury wants him to be a different quarterback than he is. I think he understands what he is and then just plays to that with his spread offense. And I agree with you. I think I, I would definitely be somebody that passes on Kyler. It's the nicest thing you've ever said about Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah. It, it wasn't meant to be a compliment either, which is the best part of it. <laughs> <laughs> It was neutral. Any last takes that was, on that was the nicest thing. <laughs> <laughs> Any last takes on risers or fallers? Anyone you want to throw in at the end? No, I could have like, like I like like I kind of touched down before. 
I probably could have done this whole list of just Giants players, but I'm not going to do that. So I'm good. Cool. Yeah, well, I, I, I think Kyler, uh, I got fired up to end this one. That's that's fine. I'm good. <laughs> cool. So everyone, thank you for tuning in. If you haven't done so yet, please visit all-22.com to sign up for more information about All22 and to stay current on release information that will be coming in the next few weeks. Uh, give us a follow if you haven't on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at all22 underscore PFF. And then obviously we need reviews. We need people to like our podcast so that we can spread the word. So uh, please leave us a review on any platform that you listen to, whether YouTube, Apple, doesn't matter. Um, give us that five-star review and leave a comment. And, and that's it. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Bye.